We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I want to I'm going to address the second part of this one, right? So I'll, I'll read okay. this one real quick from Tyler Erig. So thank you, Tyler. He says, seems like we are out on the Utah State kid, but haven't heard any other names being uh, besides him recently. So as of right now, there's there's still some there's still some players that Nareem is talking to. Obviously, we're not going to put names out. I don't see. I don't right now. I can't say that there's going to be another guy added in this part of the portal process. There's going to be more kids that jump in after spring ball. Yes. And there will be another round of this in the, in the spring. I could see them adding a guy then. Right now, I think they're kind of set with who they have. Regarding the Utah State kid, that would be Byron Vaughn's, Ryan. What we were told several days ago is that they basically decided they were going to go in a different direction. It was kind of Javante, uh, Jean Baptiste, or nothing. And the reason why is, is because Byron Vaughn's is a pure Viper. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want a guy that's a pure Viper, they want a guy that can play multiple roles more of a big end kind of guy and as you and i discussed it being the show that's where we see his game i think what happens sometimes ryan and there was a conversation about this in the chat is sometimes people get too obsessed on what a guy's body type is or what his size is and then they project him to a position and so i think some people look at javante john baptiste and say viper because he's built a lot like isaiah foskey height weight wise on a roster he right. looks more like a Viper than a big end. He doesn't play that way, though. He doesn't play like a Viper. And that's the problem. If you're going to project him to Vipers, his game doesn't scream Viper. Byron Vaughn's game is pure Viper. Yes. And that's the difference because they weren't looking for a pure Viper. They were looking for a guy that can do multiple things. And I think John Baptiste can, like I said, can play a little bit of that, that Justin Adamiola role, but also is a guy that, number one, is a guy that is a defensive end. And that's why I think he was the guy they went with. Mm-hmm. Are there some other receivers and some different guys they're looking at and talking to? Yes. Do I think any of them are going to pull the trigger right now? No, I don't. I think this is kind of what their thing is going to be. If, unless there's some sort of change of heart or change of direction here over the next f- few days, mm-hmm. right? Because they start class Monday. Yes. <laughs> now there's a window where guys don't have to start right on time. That if a guy, like if a guy picked next Thursday, if the window's still open, I have to look at the date. What's the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th? So the window closes on – the portal window closes on like Wednesday, correct? The 18th? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's some rule about within certain days of class starting or whatever. But the point is, is they need to get someone by the middle of next week. Barring a change of heart or something, I don't see that happening right now. Do I think they'll look back in the portal again in May? Yes, I think they will reevaluate things. If Notre Dame is not active in the portal in May, that's a great thing. Because what that means is a lot of young guys really stepped up in the spring and the need isn't there anymore. And so if they're if they're dipping back into the portal in May, it means that some dudes didn't get pan out or they're pan out or there are some injuries. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I'm actually kind of good with where they are right now, Ryan, personally. Yep. I, I don't think there's another portal need right now, right now. Mm-hmm. When we get through spring ball, that could change. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think you hit all your major needs for the most part, right? Like you got a big end that can come in and play. You got your quarterback, obviously a high profile one at that. You got your nickel safety that can kind of do a little bit of everything. And then you got another veteran wide receiver and Caleb Smith out of Virginia tech. So I, I think you hit your needs, man. I mean, there's going to be needs that probably arise for some different reasons, kind of like what you're stating. But I, I think for right now, I'm very content with where Notre Dame is going into winter workouts. Agree. Here we go. Here's another one from Irish Blooded. Irish Blooded. I think the battle of Burnham versus Batelho next year is going to be amazing. I want to see Josh become a beast. I want to see them both do that. Yes. I think in today's game, Ryan, we focus way too much on who's the starter. One guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at most positions, that's not really relevant anymore. Like one of the questions we had, and I don't know if I started or not, was like, do you think estimate becomes the true 1A back? And I'm like, why does it matter? Yeah. Like, why are we still talking about this? Like, did you not watch Logan Diggs in the bowl game? Like, there are still some people in the bowl game that will watch that bowl game and watch Logan Diggs go for 75 yards on a catch, go for rip off a 39 yard touchdown run, and still be like, he's getting the ball too much. You need to give it more to estimate because they're team estimate for some reason. Here's mm-hmm. what I know I hope that none of the backs become 1A. Because that means other guys didn't necessarily continue to grow. I hope they all get so much better that you still are like, dude, we just got to find ways to get them all the ball. That's what I want. And then mm-hmm. ride the hot hand. Some weeks that's going to be Logan Diggs. Some week that's going to be Audric Estime. Some weeks that may be Jadarian Price or Chris Tyree. I don't care. Play them all. Yeah. And 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 be good. Because if you're playing them all, then it's hard to it's hard to game plan for Notre Dame because Audric and Logan are very different players. Yes. And Chris Tyree's different from both of them. And if they're all rolling, like think about every game where the all three backs made impact plays, Notre Dame lit people up. North Carolina, right? Clemson and South Carolina. It's about the only three games all year where all three of them lit people up. And they scored 45, 35 with some help uh, and fit 45 in those two games, Mm -hmm. in those three games. And in one of the games, they scored 35 points, 28 defensively, or uh, 21 offensively because of some short fields, but they scored 35 points, and they threw for 86 flipping yards against one of the best front sevens in college football, right? So use them all. Absolutely use them all. And the same thing is here. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what Irish Blooded is saying. I'm just saying I see a lot of this. Like, I'm I'm a Bedeho guy. Uh, Okay, great. I want Burner to be the guy. Uh, Oh, okay. Why does it one or the other? Mm-hmm. I want them both to be great. I want this to look a lot like the Dalen Hayes, Julian Aguara thing in 2018, where it's like, who's the better player? I don't know the, that, which game, you know, but they're both really good. Right. And that's what I, that's what to me is going to make this team the best next year is that Josh Burnham and Jordan Patel and junior two Alamaca all step up and are ready to be, to be playmakers. Cause yeah. there's going to be some weeks where Burnham is going to be the guy you want. And some weeks where it's like, this is a game for Patelho to really go off. And hopefully more and more games, it's both of them, you know, and, so. And if it is a nice split, kind of a, a shared approach, it also saves people going down the stretch of the season, which is most important, right? Guys don't break. I was thinking about that with the running back position, right? One, for the season next year, you don't want Audric to be the guy or Logan to be the guy, and then they start to wear down at the end of the season because they got 200-something carries, right, at that point. Mm-hmm. 
it's like similar thing going to the NFL, right? Like I don't want a running back that has a bunch of tread on the tires. I want them to be fresh because that usually lasts a little longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you look at that, it's like I want Patello and Burnham to be playing great football. I want all these. I I don't think there's look. There's going to be a couple of positions where you have a guy that is the volume getter on the on the depth chart, right? That's the guy that's going to be playing eighty percent of the snaps, right? Like there's going to be that guy. But for the most part, I want guys defensively to be able to have a little bit of a timeshare with some other dudes. I want there to be a good rotation because I want to save those guys. Like if Joshua Burnham is the dude, I still want him to be the dude in game 13 next year and just not in game four. And then he's just okay the rest of the season, right? Like I want the guys to peak at the right time. And I don't mind doing timeshares as long as it keeps them the best at the end of the season. So Tenday Tenday said uh, RB by committee also keeps him healthy. I want I want to point to that. Uh, number one is because I am curious to see what Audric Estime's conditioning level is going to be like. My here's my thing. He's a very tightly wound athlete, mm-hmm. like very muscular. The problem is guys like that sometimes don't have the work volume capacity that other guys have because they take a lot of hits. Yes. Yep. And because they're the way that their body's built, they just fatigue faster. And part of me wonders if that's partly why the Notre Dame staff didn't always use Audric early in games and saved him for later. I wonder if they've seen something like that. This is pure speculation, but I wonder based on how they used him, if they don't have the GPS numbers to show this kid wears down a little faster because of how it's built. Right. right? Not that he's not strong or whatever, but just sometimes guys that are really tightly wound like muscular guys can just fatigue a little bit faster. Not always. So I'm curious about that. But then 10 day followed it up with this and he said, it's okay to say, to, to I, say 10 day pointed it out, right? 10 day <laughs> jokes on you, sir. I wasn't looking at the chat. It was my thought. <laughs> I just say it's great. Minds think alike. A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent. That's what I, think. I was thinking it long before he put it in the chat though. So, but he was thinking it long before he put it in the chat. Too, ah, right? Sure, sure. So there we go from Coach Koch. All right, we have what is the over-under on players drafted in this draft? Did last year's draft go as you predicted? Last year's draft did not fully go higher for no, predicted. For Notre Dame, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what we're talking about, yeah. Like, I thought, I thought Kevin Austin was going to get drafted for one, right? Like, that was one miss that I had in last year. I, for this year, Coach Koch, I mean, so if we're working through it, Michael Mayer is going to be a first-round pick. I don't think it's a slam dunk because we once thought that Isaiah Fossey is a first-round pick. I think he's more a top 50 to 75 guy at the end of the day. I think there's a possibility that he might go second round I, just based upon what I'm hearing, right? So that's the two mainstays on the offensive line – I mean on the draft class for Notre Dame. After that, I'm trying to think who else. Brandon Joseph will probably get drafted, but somewhere on day three. I don't think he's a day two player like I thought he could be or a day one player like he's not quick, that guy. Ryan, so yeah. far you've talked Mayer, Foskey, Joseph. Joseph, Jared yep. Patterson. Jared Patterson will definitely get drafted. His The medicals is going to be a thing for him that I want to see, right? Because mm-hmm. I know that there are some – Injuries in his past. I think he, he still gets drafted. I'd say he's more like a top 150 kid right now. So like fourth round, third round, somewhere in that ballpark. But those three guys, I think all four of them will definitely is get he drafted. Is in the senior now. bowl? He is in the senior bowl, yes. If he has a good senior bowl, I could see him skyrocket. It's possible. It's possible. I think so. He's played a lot of football at a school yeah. that typically develops great offensive linemen. He's played multiple positions. So it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I think there's some concerns about just how good he is. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he – He's always been really good, but never been great. Yes. And he never took that next step. And then this year he was he was hurt a lot. So I think the medical part, but if he goes to the if he yeah. goes to the senior bowl and really plays well, I could see him have a Robert Hainsey type of jump. Because Robert Hainsey wasn't a guy that people were projecting as a third rounder prior to the senior bowl either. No, that's true. And they're very yeah. comparable players in a, in a yeah. lot of different ways to me. Yeah. I think Jarrett's a little bit more athletic than Robert was. Mm-hmm. I think Robert is is more uh he had less of an injury he had the one injury at Notre Dame where he got landed on incorrectly but mm-hmm. I think Robert was a little bit more I'm trying to think of how to say this uh longer I, I think longer, yeah. and a yeah. little bit more sound and yes. had more moments of boy that guy was really good during that stretch of period of time I agree I agree but with that. Jared I think has the more god the better god-given ability but yep. Robert went to the senior bowl played center guard and was excellent all week at both positions yep. And that's what boosted him way up. So it just the not everybody viewed Robert Haynes as a third round pick, but the Bucks fell in love with him. The Eagles fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. So they were teams that were going to take him higher. 
And yep. I think I, I could see with a great senior bowl, something like that happening for, for Jared Patterson as well. In Agree. My view. Agree. Is it, do you see Tariq Bracey or, cause like, I think we both agree. Justin Adamiola is probably a, an undraft, a priority. Well, I, I, forgot, agent, I forgot about, right? I forgot about Jason. Jason's a day three player. Probably he'll get drafted. Mm-hmm. I think Justin Tariq Bracey, Josh Lug and Chris Smith all get camp opportunities. I think yeah. they'll all get an opportunity in that. And regard. maybe sneak into the back end of the draft if the if a team falls in love with them. And a- Avery Davis is another one that he'll he'll be in a camp. There's no doubt yeah. he'll be in a camp. Could do you think? Could you see a scenario in which Tariq gets picked? I just think that I just think the lack of good film consistently throughout his career. Like uh-huh. he had a great final year and a pretty solid year before that. He was but pretty I, good last year. I do. Mm-hmm. I think he was pretty good last year. Yeah. I think the thing for him is going to be the testing. Yeah, he's going to have to test stuff. really yeah. well. Yeah, the testing is going to not he just that, test but pretty the, well the, though, right? He speed, test yeah, well. he'll be a four-four guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he'll be a four-four guy, which doesn't as much matter for nickels. Like they're going to be looking at like that short area, change of direction stuff, explosiveness stuff. But yeah. Yep. Oh, oh, and John Sott. John Sott will definitely be in the camp. Sorry. Yes. Sott. Yes. Yes. Seth Clark. With Seth Clark. A- what is your favorite position group going into 2023? And what position do you think looks the best for the future of Notre Dame football? Well, I mean, my favorite right now, I mean, my favorite's always quarterback, right? Like just bias. <laughs> but as far as just specifically about Notre Dame, taking my bias away, it's the offensive line because I think the yes. offensive line is going to have the greatest impact on how good this team is going to be because the offensive line, here's why it, people say, why is offensive line so important? It's not a question I get often asked, but I do get asked it from time to time. Why is there mm-hmm. this obsession on offensive line? Because offensive line, more than any other position, including quarterback, can have an impact on every other position. And, and what makes offensive line unique is not only can they impact the quarterback, the running back, and the receivers, is they can impact the defense, your own defense. And, and so to me, that's that's if this offensive line is what we hope it is, then it makes – every group around them better including the front seven on defense because if you're not if you're not bringing it every day and really improving your game you're going to get embarrassed and that's what a great group can do it's not just that we're not if you got a great receiving core your secondary has to be locked in every day mechanically fundamentally uh, emotionally all that because if you don't you're going to get embarrassed it's the same thing here with this offensive line from Notre Dame if you don't bring it every day you're going to get embarrassed because yeah. they're just that good or should be that good. So for me, it's it's the offensive line. And and uh, when I look – well, I'll let you answer that first, Ryan, and then we'll talk mm-hmm. about what the best for the future. No, I, I mean, I mean, no, it's it's a quick movement here because mine was going to be offensive line because I just think that there's not as many – the importance of Notre Dame, which you spoke to, but also I just don't think that there's a ton of question marks about the group going into 2023, right? Like I know that we know three out of five positions who the player is going to be, and then the guys that are competing for the other spots – you feel pretty good about the talent level that's going to be competing inside of guard too. So I think not only for the importance of Notre Dame football, but also for the talent you have coming back, I think that offensive line, yeah, very, very, very positive situation you're in there. And what position do you think looks best for the future of Notre Dame football? That's a little harder to determine, which is a good thing. I, I think I have an answer for that one, though. Okay. Just off the top of my head, it's probably going to be a little weird for some people. But I think the turnaround that you've had in the wide receiver room over the last couple of years is going to be tremendous for this team because now that you have Sam Hartman and then the continued development of Tyler Buckner, you feel good about where the quarterback position is, which is another great answer to this one, by the way, because that's paramount to have great quarterback play. But I feel really good about the prospects of Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey with the 2023 group, with Jaden Thomas. All of a sudden, from just a couple of years ago where you were, and well, just from last year where you were to where you are now, the wide receiver room has just done a complete 180 from a talent perspective and from a depth perspective. So I think wide receivers is going to be huge for the team moving forward. I still got to see it, and I got to see another year of recruiting it well for just, just for me. I think my debate is it comes down to quarterback because I'm extremely excited for the future of the quarterback room. Offensive line, obviously. And then the other linebacker is in a really good place. But the last one for me, Ryan, is corner. Because that's a position that Notre Dame hasn't really been strong a lot of times. And that's one thing that the 80 to 93 teams had that a lot of other really good Notre Dame teams didn't was they could run with you on the perimeter. And, you know, offensive line, you kind of take that for granted a little bit. Linebacker, yeah, okay, Notre Dame's good linebacker, sure. 
but they haven't always been really good at corner. I think they got a chance to be really good at corner the next few, you know, four or five years if they keep doing what they're doing now. And so that's kind of where, where I'm at all real quick. There's a debate going on in the chat about most players drafted all time. Notre Dame is still number one at 522. Yep. USC is next to 519. Third is Ohio State at 479. Fourth is Oklahoma at 409. Michigan's fifth at 392. So Notre Dame's by far. Uh, Notre Dame, excuse me, not Notre Dame. Notre Dame and USC by far have had the most players drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a pretty big drop-off after that. So yep. just a heads up to help kind of silence that discussion. Here, here's the next. I don't mean that just because it was debate and there was back and forth and that just give the numbers to it and it is what it is. Yeah, Tommy Guns with the recent trend of position groups that we're most worried about in the spring and fall continue to become it. It continue to become become a strength, it, if not the strength a, yeah. of the team by season's end. So basically, like we we've gone yeah. into years where really worried about corner and it becomes a strength, if not the strength. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, running back that kind of thing. So, um, so with the recent trend of a position group that we're if not so. Will it will the trend continue? Well, I guess it depends on what you view as the position group that you're most concerned about. I think defensive line is probably that. I yes. I could see that. I think mm-hmm. defense. I mean, if you look at the chat, defensive line is a position group that most people are worried about. It yeah. would have been quarterback, but now it's Sam Hartman. You know, and I think if you're going to say offensively, wouldn't you say that probably receiver is still the one that most Notre Dame fans are most concerned about on offense? The unknown of it, yeah, right. Yeah. Right, uh-huh. which is concern for me. I don't mean concern sure. like, oh, they suck. There's no good players, but yeah, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about that group more than any other group, just because guys got to step up. And then defensive line, it, you know, I'm more concerned about linebacker right now than I am defensive line, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But I'd say all three of those position groups have a chance to be a strength of the team. I don't. I don't think. I don't. The problem is I just have a hard time seeing the receivers being better than the offensive line. So the strength, right. I'd have a hard time seeing that. Or same with the running backs. But it'd be nice. Be nice. Yeah. Defensively, could I see the defensive line becoming the strength of the defense? Yeah, I could see that. I'm not predicting it. But like it's let's possible. say let's say yeah. Jean Baptiste is what we think he is. Let's say Batelho and Burnham have the breakouts we think. Let's say Riley Mills yeah. kind of finally has that breakout season. Let's say, you know, Howard Cross and Kenana. Gabriel Rubio were able to lock down the nose. Yeah. Right. You know, and 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 then a a, a young guy or two steps up Tyson Ford, Booba Carr, Mookum, Brendan Vernon, Devin, like one of those freshmen or sophomores steps up. And because that's where the most talented is, is my Mm -hmm. opinion, is the freshman sophomore class. Next year's freshman sophomore class. Yeah. If one of, but are they ready or not yet? That remains to be seen. So, like one or two of those guys step up, then sure, the defensive line could become a strength linebacker to me could also become a strength, mm-hmm. not the strength. I think the defensive line is a better chance of becoming the strength just because of the nature of the position, but they could all become that. It's just how much you willing to bet on it at this right. point in time. Yep. So, yeah, uh, let's get to some of these. We got it. We're gonna have to roll out of here pretty quickly, but I do want to try to rock and roll through as many of these uh, as possible. So mm-hmm. let's go to, to Brandon here. Brandon's question is Notre Dame still recruiting Aaron Butler, California kid who just decommitted from USC is Notre Dame recruiting him at cornerback because it seems like he might want to play offense. So Brandon, uh, yes, he was, he was offered as a cornerback. He is on the cornerback board for Notre Dame. Uh, I haven't talked to Aaron recently as much as I had because he obviously he was committed to USC, but he, um, I think that they're still in contact with him, but they have still recruiting him. They've been recruiting him for a while, but the reality is is he's not going to go to Notre Dame right now. Right. He's looking to go into the sec or a school like that. And he's, I think at the end of the day, he's probably looking for things that Notre Dame's not willing to, to offer at this point in time, including potentially playing offense. I think they like him at corner, but he's really good. I I, I like him at corner as well, though. I agree as well. Yeah. Agree. Agree. He's talented. Uh, we have a super chat down here, Ryan, from Chief Brody. Here, I have a few super chats we'll get to. Uh, but I wanted to address this one because I was a little puzzled by this one. Chief Brody, thank you for the super chat. I'm more concerned about offensive line. I think that they have played poorly early in the last two seasons. I also think that if the O-line is good, the offense will score plenty of points to make up for the defense. I think you could push back more than two years. I mean, they haven't played well early in most seasons, but I think – Pushing back beyond this year doesn't make a lot of sense because it's a different coach. 
Yeah. So it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I think that this year's situation was very, was understandable. And we talked about this during the off season. How long mm-hmm. is it going to take this group to get up and running? Right. The, the, and it took them about two and a half games to get up and mm-hmm. running. I mean, we mm-hmm. knew that there was going to be some sort of, we hoped it would be the opener because of who they were playing. We always knew there was going to be some sort of transition period. I don't believe that carries over into next year, Ryan, for two reasons. Number one, you're set at tackle. Number two, you're yep. set at center. And number three, you have Harry Heastan. Yeah. And when he's had veteran offensive lines, which he'll have next year, they've come out of the gate smoking. The 2015 offense came out of the gate smoking on on offense. I mean, they destroyed Texas in the opener. The offensive line in 2016 came out of the gate playing well. I mean, they scored almost scored 50 points against Texas. The offensive line played well early in 2016. 2017, same way. They ran for like 400-some yards against Temple in the opener. So um, I think that was more of a Jeff Quinn problem than a Harry Heastan problem. This year was a transition problem, which was anticipated. You hoped it would have happened a little bit sooner, but, you know, you had Jared Pattis was banged up and you were pretty young at tackle and you had a new coach and guys learned new positions. So it took him about two and a half games to get rolling. I'd, I'd be real surprised. Plus next year, Chief Brody, you're playing completely different type of opponents. Here's the reality. If Notre Dame would have played Navy in the opener, uh, may, maybe they play a lot better. If they'd have played trying to get teams at BC in the opener, they probably mm-hmm. would have looked a lot better. Yeah. Played Ohio State in the opener. You know, and, and Marshall's a team that we told y'all was a pretty good football team coming into the year. And so next year's different. You, have, you got Navy, you've got Central Michigan, you got Tennessee State. You're going to have more of a time where if you're not completely 100% rocking and rolling, which they won't be because that's the nature of of, of the season you're you're hardly ever as good in, in september on the offensive line as you are in november right and that rarely happens yep. because it's a you require some cohesiveness unless you've got like a bunch of dudes coming back mm-hmm. and in 2016 17 they had four starters coming back in 2017 yeah so um but it just it won't matter as much because of who you're playing and that's well, and, the, i mean and, 2021 right i mean they're playing florida state in the opener like one of their DNs was a first round NFL draft pick. Mm-hmm. You know, several NFL players on that group, so that that factors into it as well. Yeah, well, and I would say that we've talked about this on the podcast pretty recently that you're returning three starters, and I mean, would you rather have three starters coming back than your two tackles in your center? Like th- that's incredibly important. And I th- also think last year, Chief Brody, you know, Brian talked about the transitional period coming back to Harry Heastan, which uh, absolutely right, but it's also. You thought Joe Walt was going to be this level of player, right? But you still had to see it fully, right? Because he wasn't a complete starter the year before. He came in and did an amazing job for what your expectations were, absolutely. But Blake Fisher had played a game and a half of football coming into the year. Zeke Carell in 2021 was a bad football player. Josh Luck had just played right tackle and had to make a transition. Jared Patterson was transitioning from center to guard and also didn't even play early in the season, the first couple games. So first game, excuse me, until Marshall. So there were a lot of question marks coming into the season. You knew the potential was there. And I think that potential was realized during the course of the season toward the stretch. You saw how good this offensive line can be. But now coming into this year, you have more known commodities, man. Like Zeke Carell is a good starting center. Joe Joe Walt just made – Honorable, I mean, a unanimous All-American, right? Blake Fisher, I thought consensus. took a nice step for consensus, consensus. All-American. Sorry, my yeah. bad. Yep, consensus All-American. Blake Fisher played some good football throughout the course of the year, and you're, he's only going to improve from there there because he's still got a whole Blake lot of Blake was really good pressure. in November, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. Really good in November. Yep. So you have the premier positions coming back. You have guys that took massive steps forward, and I just think there's more certainty this unit than there was coming into this past season. Next question is from Tyler Smith. Got another super chat from Tyler Smith. Tyler, thank you very much. Yep. Tyler said, not a Notre Dame question, but it is a college football question. What do you think about Brian Hartline being promoted to offensive coordinator today at Ohio State? Did that happen? I missed that, actually. I didn't see that, but I've seen several people ask about it. So my assumption is that it happened. Well, I mean, it was anticipated because Ryan Day has said, that he was going to step away from play calling and Mm -hmm. the previous offensive coordinator left. And so uh, it was assumed that was going to happen. And and apparently that happened during the show. Or So my thing is, Ryan, I 
what do I think about it? It's a smart mm-hmm. move. I mean, you you needed to promote him. If you didn't promote him, then you'd run the risk of maybe him leaving. Sure. I don't think it changes things a whole lot. I mean, I still think Ryan Day is going to be heavily involved in that. And and honestly, it, honestly, I I think it. I I would wonder if Brian Hartline is going to do as much as what as Ryan Day did. And honestly, I think that's probably a good thing if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, whoever the offensive coordinator is, if he doesn't get back to running the football, Ohio State's going to have problems winning games because they showed against against Georgia. You can throw the ball all over the field. At the end of the day, the team that could make stops and and run the football and 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 move the chains and do what they need to do, getting in the field goal range, is the team that won those games. They just aren't balanced enough to win championships right now, in my opinion. And even in the years where they had good balance, they'd go away from it when it really mattered. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hurt them. And I just think they're not a real physical football team, to be honest with you. Yeah. That's got to change, in my view. And well, if it does, how they could be scary good. It can. It can. I mean, but to your point, right? Like you had to make this move at some point because I mean, Hartline's going to have a lot of interest. From oh, a lot and of Kevin schools. Wilson also left. He's the new head coach of Tulsa. He was the previous offensive yep. coordinator. It's Tulsa is where he went. Yep. So I mean, you, you, this move was kind of imminent at some point. It was just a question of when it would happen, right? Because you want to mm-hmm. obviously keep Brian Hartline if you're Ohio State. I I don't know though, Tyler. Because I mean, look, Brian Hartline's a great coach, right? A great wide receiver coach. He's developed incredible wide receivers. He's recruited the position as well as anyone. But what is he going to look like as a play caller? I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, I don't think anybody knows that. I I would like to think, based upon the quality of coach that I believe that he is, that he'll be a darn good play caller. But until a guy calls the plays, I, I don't know what they are. There's a lot of good, really good position coaches that aren't good play callers, too. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kerry Coombs is an example of one. Yep. Kerry Coombs had a very long reputation of being a really good secondary coach, and he was awful. Yeah. As a coordinator, mm-hmm. awful happens a lot, actually. But I mean, yes, yeah, yes, it really does. It really does. We have another super chat here from Eric Takaki. Eric, thank you very much for your super chat. Are you expecting any staff changes, or are we keeping everybody this year? Honestly, it, it, I, I don't see anyone getting fired. Does that mean there could be staff changes? Sure. I mean, you know, guys get get other jobs. I, thing here is I'm just not, I'm not, it's not really something I'm comfortable talking about because a lot of it's projection and projection. And, and I'll give you an example of why we don't talk about things like this um, is because Ryan, look at what happened with our three, three, five conversation. Yeah. We said in a show very clearly, I could see them doing this. And then you run to Twitter and the message board in this chat. And all of a sudden it's no names going to a three, three, five. <laughs> and so it's like if I said, well, I could see so and so going to the NFL this year, then it all of a sudden within 48 hours, it's that's dominating the conversation. And I'm getting phone calls saying, dude, why are you saying that so and so is going to the NFL? I'm like, I never said that, you know. So uh, that's kind of why I, I don't really want to get into specifics. But look, turnover happens. It's very rare that, that your entire coaching staff comes back. Right. I, as of right now, I have heard nothing about anyone getting fired. But there's always going to be movement. There's always going to be somebody that decides to step away. Somebody decides to get in a different role. Like Trevor Mendelson got the O-line job at Minnes- at uh, Western Michigan. So, you know, that's an analyst role that needs to get filled. Uh, you could see some other thing happening, you know, where somebody hires this guy or that guy and somebody goes to the NFL. And, you know, you could see all that. But as far as projecting it, I, I don't. I don't see that one as as being one here, Ryan. I know you got to run to go pick up your your daughter. Can I get one from you? Have you seen Darian Dupree yet, the running back? I have seen. Okay, Darian Dupree, let's yes. let's pull him up real quick. We got this question from Brandon Plensner. I definitely think this is one that'd be good for you to you and yep. I both to discuss before you have to run. Yep. So Brandon asks, "What do you guys think of Darian Dupree from Mount Carmel, who got offered today? Do you really see him as being the second running back in the class?" Brandon, it's the second part of the question. I mean, there's other running backs on the board, right? So we need to see kind of how things are trending with guys like Corey Smith and and Davion Goss and some other running backs that, you know, Notre Dame has been on for a while now, right? So I don't know if he is the realistic running back too when all the, everything is said and done. I will say this, though. I really like Darian Dupree, man. He's a tough yeah. little dude, man. He's, like, he's a typical Midwestern running back. He may yes. not have the home run speed, yeah, but he's got great feet. Great, great balance. balance. He's physical as heck, Ryan. Like, there's some runs on his highlight tape. You're like, dude, that like he really literally ran through the entire defense. 
And he's only 190 he's got, pounds, yeah, man. It's wild. He, he's yeah. built well, though. He's going to be yes. 205, 210 when it's all said and done. Yeah. But he's got all – he look, honestly, Ryan, if he was – if he was a little bit faster, I think he'd be a guy that people would be a lot more excited about. And mm-hmm. and as you know, my stance on speed at running back, I just I don't care. Yeah. But he he you know he reminds me a lot of as a mm-hmm. back. You may disagree with this, Muhammad mm-hmm. Ibrahim. Oh no, I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because uh, Muhammad's reminds- like at, at Muhammad's peak, he's like two hundred ten pounds. You know, like you don't right. want him getting to like two twenty. Like he'll start to right. lose a little bit, but he doesn't have a ton of juice. But contact balance is stupid, man. That's the great thing about vision as a runner. Like yeah. great. Like there's a play on his highlights where he literally like puts his hand right on the hip of the guard and just yeah. rides him until the defender commits, and then he pops that sucker out. His feel for the game as a running back is really, really I, good. I didn't even see like I so. I didn't look at what his weight was or when I watched him. I watched him like a couple of weeks ago, I think, because mm-hmm. Sean mentioned him on a show like a month ago, I think, that he had seen him in person, that he's a stud. And I watched him at first, man. I'm just like, this kid runs angry. I kind of laughed when I heard Sean say that. I was like, yeah. okay, Chicago guy, you know. <laughs> but right. And then you watch him like, oh, my bad, Sean. This is why I shouldn't doubt my boy. This Dude, is I, why I shouldn't doubt my boy. Brian, I th- I literally thought he was like 200, 205 pounds watching his he films. Looks, I'm like, that kid yeah. runs so physically. And then you're like, oh, he's only yeah. 190. That's interesting. That's very really, interesting. But he can be nimble too, though, right? Yes. Like that, he's yeah. he's got a little bit of Audric in him, just not the body, but the the, yeah. the knee, like the lip. Like when he run, when he hits, his knees go flying up, and that's what yes. you want to have, right? But yeah. he's also got some of the smoothness that Logan brings to the table. Yeah, no, I think his he is a similar kid. to Logan as well. Like, yeah. which is not great. But as you saw in the bowl game, you don't need to be a 4-4 to rip off 75-yard and 40-yard touchdown runs. Right? You got time for one more because yes. there's an NFL draft question about Fosky. Of course. So I'll read this, let you answer it from Lucas Dizon. Thank you, Lucas. Greetings from Germany. Thank you, my friend. I am uh, wondering who is the best pro comparison for Isaiah Foskey. Foskey's a bit more power than speed and finesse, similar to Agba coming out of Oklahoma State. What are your thoughts? That's an interesting one, Lucas. You know, a guy that popped in my head pretty early – was Darius Smith that has that played with the Minnesota Vikings? I think he's now with the Baltimore Ravens. He came out of Kentucky and he was about six five, long arms, two hundred and sixty plus pounds. But he's much more of a linear athlete, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. think he's bendy, and I don't think that Isaiah Foskey is incredibly bendy. Like I don't think he's going to be an outside track dude that just runs under the table, right? Like that's not his arsenal to me. But with the length, explosiveness, and power combination that Isaiah Foskey has, if a team can tap into him and really develop his pass rush plan, I don't think there's any reason that Isaiah Foskey can't be a double-digit-a-year sack guy. Like I think he has that type of upside. It's just about the hand development, the nuance development, the pass rush plan development. And all those things are stuff that Darius Smith was incredibly raw coming out of Kentucky but as a team kind of molded him a little bit, got him a little more wiser than the length and the explosiveness took over. So Zadarius Smith might be a guy that I think Isaiah plays a little bit like because he is kind of that linear, explosive, long guy, kind of like what Isaiah Foskey is. Yep, I agree. I agree. Greg Lisman Jr. says, Brian and Ryan, which Notre Dame football game are you most looking forward to to this upcoming season? I think it's an easy one, Ryan. It's it's Ohio September twenty fourth. I think is what it is, right against Ohio State. Wait a minute, let yes. me let me look up the uh, the specific date of that one. Yeah. It's whenever the Ohio State game is. It's September twenty third. Yeah, that's the first litmus test for Notre Dame. Yeah, it I is. mean, if they start off three and zero and blow out Navy and Tennessee State and Central Michigan, that's all great. I'll enjoy mm-hmm. it. We'll talk about it, but it doesn't matter till September twenty third. You're going to take that next step. Eventually, you've got to beat one of those teams. You've beaten one of them. Mm-hmm. That's Clemson, yep. but I would argue that that's as much about you ascend as them descending as it is you ascending. In my opinion, mm-hmm. beating Ohio State is a sign you're ascending because Ohio yes. State's not taking a step back next year. They, yep. they may not be as good at quarterback, but they're going to be better at other places. Their defense is going to be a lot better next year, in my opinion, than it was this year, especially with Tommy Eichenberg coming back. And yep. that's what Georgia did. Georgia was an elite defense with an okay offense last year. This year, they were really good offense with a defense that was a little bit up and down. Some weeks it was good, some weeks it wasn't, right? But the other side of the ball stepped up. That's how Ohio State's going to be next year, in my opinion, if C.J. leaves. It's not like they're going to suck on offense. They're still going to be pretty good on offense. they got a lot of weapons at running back, a lot of weapons at receiver. They're going to need a new quarterback and a bunch of new linemen. They're not going to score 28 points a game. They're going to still be a really good offense. But their team could potentially be better because I think in year two of Jim Knowles are going to be a lot better on defense. 
So that's the test. Can you beat them? You've got them on your home field. You've got a veteran court. There's no excuses. Can you get that done? That's the game that I'm most looking forward to the next season. Yeah, and it's also the mid Midwestern power struggle to thing, right? I mean, it's great to beat Clemson, but at can't the end be the best day, team in the country until you become the best team in the Midwest, man. In the you region. know what I mean? Like, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Georgia yep. didn't win national championships, so they said, "Hey, we can beat Bama." That exactly. was their kryptonite. I mean, they'd been in the SEC title, college football playoff before, and Bama was the team that kept beating them. Yep. And then they finally stepped up and said, "Okay, if we want to be the, we if we want to be the big dogs, we gotta we gotta beat the big dog, right?" And they did last year. You're, the title you're game. Talk- and you're talking about a team, and Greg, I think, just said in the chat as well, and it's it's true. It's big for recruiting because you're recruiting a lot of yeah. the same kids, right, 100%. Yeah. And then you're also, it, at the end of the day, Ohio State is still making playoffs, even when they're not playing particularly well at points, right? Like, they weren't great team this year, and they still made the playoffs, and they're still the threat to win a national championship. Gabe, Georgia, about the best game that anybody gave them all year, right? I mean, Ohio State's a couple plays away from – maybe be in a national title game. So at the end of the day, man, Ohio State is paramount to beat because of the Midwestern implication, because of the the regional implication, but all the recruiting implication. And then they're one of the top dogs and have been for a few years. So you got to yeah. take them down. Ryan, there's a lot more questions I'd love for you to answer, but I don't want to get you in trouble. So <laughs> I, I, I know you got to run. So I'm going to try to work through the rest of these. Milton fan 15 says, how is the Viper position changing? What type of, what type of player is ideal? 6'5", 250, 6'2", 230, et cetera. I don't think there is an ideal. I, look, anytime, anytime you're a coach, you're going to say, give me a guy that's 6'3", plus, 6'4", plus. This just doesn't matter the position. That's long arms, that's really athletic, that's really fast. And, I mean, that's what everybody looks for, right? It's not so much the player body type is, is what does the guy do? And, and so, like, Ryan and I talked about this, and I don't remember if we talked about it during the Javante uh, Jean-Baptiste, but the conversation he and I were having before the show started was, in a perfect world, Isaiah Foskey's not a Viper. He's playing big end in a perfect world. In the second part of the uh, – in, in what Notre Dame did this year, the, the second part of the question is, is it's even more true in what, what Marcus Freeman did in 2021. So, so part of it is, is what are they going to do? What, are, what do they want their defense to be, Milton fan? Like, do they want it to be a true four down defense? And then you can get away with kind of having two big ends. And if one of them's a little bit twitchier and a better pass rusher like Foskey, you can put them over there. Or do they want to have a, a more hybrid four down where you want a Josh Burnham type? You want a Jordan Patejo type, more of a, of a linebacker-ish, edge-ish type of guy that's that can rush the passer, no, they can set the edge effectively, but can also stack at linebacker, can drop into coverage, can do all those type of things. I think that's that's I think where the position is evolving. Now, if you can get a guy that's 6'5 and 250 can do that, great. If it's a 6'2, 230 guy that can do that, great. I think it's more about what does the guy do well is more important than what's his size. You know, we were talking about this yesterday with Isaiah Wynn from Georgia. I mean, that guy was a first round draft pick. You're starting left tackle on Georgia's first playoff team. He was six foot two. No one's ideal for a left tackle, but he was pretty flipping good. So to me, it's more about what what's the what can the guy get done? If you can get if a guy can get things done and be taller, faster, longer, it's always always ideal. But it's more about what he can do. And in this instance, you know, you need a guy that can set the edge effectively. You need a guy that can be a good pass rusher, ideally with more than just one move. And you need a guy that, in my opinion, can can zone drop effectively, meaning get underneath routes. It's one thing to just drop into coverage, but can you drop into coverage with purpose? I think that's a greater question. And, and Isaiah Foskey could do that if he was just running with a back. Like Isaiah Foskey is really good. We saw this at, at times uh, twice against Syracuse and at other times is if he knew I got I got a back on a wheel, he would he was he could run because he just run. He wasn't a guy that was necessarily gonna ho- look up a curl and get up underneath the curl route. So if you can have a guy that can do something like that, I think that's where you're more effective, in my opinion. Good question. Adam Ziliak asks, Brian and Ryan, if the staff moves Riley Mills to three technique, does he does he reshape his body some to accommodate the move? I don't think he needs to reshape his body. I think he has some technical things to work on. You know, to be a little bit – come out of, the, out of his – I think at times Riley gets a little high out of his stance. I want to see him just keep a little bit better pad level coming out, especially as, a, as an inside guy. I want to see him be a little bit better there. You know, his hand play needs to continue to improve. Thing, you know, his block destruction needs to continue to improve. So those are all technical things. I mean, he's already two inches taller than Jason Adamiola was, and at least five to five to ten pounds 
bigger than what Jason Emmanuel is. He was 6292 this year. And if you see him up close next to each other, Riley's just a significantly bigger looking kid than Jason is. I mean, there's much bigger. So it's more about just uh, reshaping his game more so than reshaping his body. Jeff Luke says, love the Chicago Blitz. What other cities would you like to see the staff blitz? There aren't a bunch of other cities as much as as much as it's states, you know. I, I but if I'm going to say a city, it's St. Louis. I mean, that's that's the other city I would say. Hey, send five coaches down there over a two day period and go to every every private school, every Catholic school, and the best public schools in the in the, in, in St. Louis, and then the St. Louis surrounding sub, suburb areas and right outside of St. Louis. I think that needs to be an area that becomes a bit of a a hotbed for Notre Dame. And I think this year was a great start. You've had really success the last couple of years, three years now. You got Gabriel Rubio, uh, twenty one class. You've got Tyson Ford in the twenty two class, and then this year you got Christian Gray and Jeremiah Love. Next year you want to get Jeremiah McClellan. You want to try to get the Williams and Mary kid, who you're probably not going to get. You want to try to get Ryan Wingo. So if you can start building a pipeline into that city, that'd be huge for Notre Dame because there's some really big time football players coming out of St. Louis right now so that would be one. I mean, if you're going to talk about some others, you may like Dallas would, would maybe be one if they wanted to kind of do something in LA, although I, I I wouldn't waste a lot of time in LA, but Dallas is one that I would, I would strongly consider, you know, I I do like a Jersey blitz. You know, I, I think it's, I do a Pennsylvania blitz, just get out to the best schools of Pennsylvania. It'd be more state related than it would be city related. St. Louis is the only other city. Maybe Dallas is the only other city where I could see, that having some impact and you know they got two kids out of the houston there isn't isn't frisco where caleb smith is? isn't that oh no it's more like kind of dallasy i think but you know dallas houston would be other areas maybe potentially where you look at but other than that it's more so looking at states more so than it would be would be specific cities outside of st louis 99 prompts BK1. The above question would, would a third down rush pack third down rush package of Javante Jean Baptiste, Riley Mills, Howard Cross, Burnham, Batelho make sense. It wouldn't make sense to me. You got too many, too many big guys in there. I'd say give me Mills and maybe Baptiste or Mills and Cross or Baptiste and Cross, like two of those big guys. Then give me Burnham and Batelho as a four-man group. Uh, and then maybe, maybe Burnham or Batejo is, I would personally, for me, I would have Burnham come, I'd have Batejo coming off the edge and I would have Burnham be sort of that Jason Adamiola player or Justin Adamiola player that kind of moves around, blitzes up the middle. Number one, I think Jordan Batejo right now is a more natural edge rusher. Even going back to his high school days, Burnham's still learning that. But the thing about Burnham is he's freaky long. And he's he's really quick downhill. So, and he played linebacker. So he would have a natural feel for that. So I'd have him as kind of be that either the Bo Bauer type or the Justin Adamiola type. That's just kind of that moving around the inside on third down and just blitz him from somewhere because you get a kid like that that comes crashing into the guard, even if he doesn't win, get those long arms up, and all of a sudden he becomes a much harder guy to throw over. And, and so I would I would like to see something like that from him. I, I think that would be a really good third down package. Some Batelho Burnham, Mills, and some other – bigger guy because you don't want to be too small and then get run over. But, you know, Mills cross, Mills Baptiste, cross Baptiste inside, and then you get – because you get, you know, Patel off the edge and then Burnham can kind of move around. And then you could also just line them both up off the edge and bring them off the edge too. You could also do that. So that that'd be a good one. And Jimmy McGill brought this up. This is a little bit different than the one from before, but uh, what states, area schools does Notre Dame need to establish a recruiting hotbed in St. Louis, Chicago, and Texas seems seem like obvious choices. They're all they're all perfect choices. I, I think number one, Notre Dame is, seems to have gotten away from recruiting Catholic schools. And and to a degree, I understand it because Catholic schools aren't what they used to be where it was a bunch of Catholic kids. A lot of times Catholic school kids are just going there to get an education or play football or, or play sports or whatever the case may be. But I still think there's a, a usually when you're talking about traditional Catholic schools, New Jersey, Ohio, you know, a lot of states not named Florida or California, you're still getting a level of that kid is also a, a coming from a different background or has or 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 has own personal interests that are different that maybe are more academically oriented, uh, challenging him a little bit more than, than your typical 
public school kid may have from a you know stereotypical standpoint. So I would still make more priority on saying every year we're going to scour the Catholic school kids. I think a state that need, that that Notre Dame needs to establish as a hotbed in an area is, and and they failed to do so for years. I still think it's incredibly important for them to get into the DC Maryland area. I, the fact that they can't, Jason Moore should have been the biggest slam dunk ever to Notre Dame, but they've done such a bad job in that area for years. Now they've gotten some kids from there, Cam Hart, Sam Mustafer, DJ Brown, but just a lot of those guys outside of, Outside of Sam Mustafer, none of those guys were highly ranked guys. And, and you know, Cam Hart wasn't a – it's not like they beat Ohio State and Michigan who have really – and Penn State who have done really well in that region for, for him or beat them for him. So D.C. is a big one. The D.C. Baltimore kind of private school, especially schools, is – I mean, think, think of who's come out of there recently. I mean, Caleb Williams. Jason Moore, I mean, all, Terrell Hall, all these kids that Notre Dame's not getting that Ohio State, Penn State, Bama, and all these schools are getting, you know, the Cajando brothers and went to Alabama. The fact that Notre Dame continues to just strike out year after year in that area is a problem, and it needs, and it's not going to get fixed until you really make it a priority. And so I don't know if you can do all those at once. I'd say give me Chicago and St. Louis, like, right now. And, and Indy's another one. Like, if a kid can get into school and the kids are Mindy, I'm looking at that kid. I may not take them all. Like I, I wouldn't take. I don't know if I'd have taken the Mickens kid this past year, but uh, those are the those are the areas where I kind of I'd want to get into first, right? Is to get the kids out of there. Fort Wayne, you know, do your regional ones, and then after that, then I'm expanding a little bit, right? St. Louis is one of the regional ones too. Then I'm expanding a little bit. I'm going to Dallas. I'm going to DC. Like those are the first two that strike that strike me, and then the the next one is. I think North Carolina has got to be a big state for me uh, in, in as well. I think it's an area where Notre Dame can and should have a lot of success. So you can't do it all at once. And and so you've got to prioritize it. So priority number one for me is the Chicago, St. Louis, you know, Indiana area. Once I feel I've, I've got a plan in place for that, my next strategy, twofold strategy is is dc on this end and then the dallas area on this end which notre dame is already kind of starting to do a little bit with that area but those would be my priorities at this point in time so very good questions very good questions we're gonna have to get kind of wrap up here soon i want to try to get through a few of these here that uh that we haven't quite as somewhat addressed in some way shape form or fashion uh so just give me a second as i kind of scroll through these and, and find out um a, a little bit. So, but Basin Domer, I, I kind of think you're joking here, but what will Tommy re, Tommy's version of the slow mesh look like now that we have Sam Hartman for the coming season? They won't have a slow mesh next year. So yeah, that's not, that's not going to happen. All right. Let me find out here real quick. Uh, Irish Mills. Here's an interesting one. If Sam Hartman brings us a natty next year, where does he rank for all time? Notre Dame quarterbacks, not very high. It's one year. Now he would be memorable. And he would be beloved if he plays a plays a big role in that. But as far as like ranking him amongst the great all times, I mean, just because he brings a natty doesn't mean he's better than Brady Quinn was. It means he played on a better team than Brady Quinn played on. He's not he's not going to be above Tony Rice and and Terry Hanratty and Tom Clements and and John Heward and you know Joe Theismann and guys like that. I mean, just one season in the Natty is great. Joe Montana is great. It's great. He'll be memor He'll be memorable. He'll be remembered and beloved. But you need more than one year to to be that kind of guy, in my opinion. But 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 good question. Good question. All right, let's see here. Milton fan with a super chat. Thank you, Milton fan. Why did Harry Heastan leave last time? Simply put. Uh, he did not want to coach with Brian Kelly anymore. And I, and I think that the, some of the recruiting stuff and, you know, whatever, it's not worth it. If I have to deal with this other stuff, him and Brian Kelly didn't get along very well at all. And there's, there's never just like one, usually just one thing. It's usually a lot of things, but I'll just put it to you like this. If I'm, if Brian Kelly is still the head coach in Notre Dame, there's no chance in heck that Harry Heastan stays at, is, is at Notre Dame right now. None. Zero. And that means even if Brian Kelly would have fired Jeff Quinn and reached out to Harry, zero chance that happens. None. And so once he left, 
then Harry was interested in coming to Notre Dame again. That's just, I'll just leave it at that. But it's uh, him and Brian Kelly were not, were not on each other's uh, Christmas card list, in my opinion. And from what I know about the situation. So that is def- definitely a, played a humongous role in that. All right, Brian Richmond with a super chat. Thank you, Brian. Any chance to stop the bag talk with nine top 100 and an absolutely incredible portal season that likely isn't done? I fear a Goebbels effect. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a pretty harsh example to use there when you consider what he did. But Brian, we don't really have we don't really buy into that, right? Like there are some kids who you're going to need to pay to get to school here, and no name's not going to do that. Our pushback has always been not every kid is like that. And we've we know several Notre Dame kids who who were offered pretty darn good money, uh, money that a lot of people in this chat have told us is life changing money to to go to school, and they turned it down. So not every kid is like that. You've got to identify the right players. So look, but you're never going to stop that, Brian. I've been having this argument since I since I followed recruiting back in the early two thousands. And I and I and I know you're talking about me. I'm I'm talking about fans, and this is where I'm leading into the fan talk is for I started really following recruiting in late 90s early 2000s and even then the talk was always well they can't recruit an elite level until they change the academics they can't really recruit an elite level till you know they, the boosters start getting more involved in paying players they can't recruit an elite level until they get better facilities they can't recruit at elite level until they get dorms with air conditioning I mean there's always some excuse for people the reality is as coaches that come here and work hard and have a personal and have skill to recruit recruit well Simple as that. There's always excuses. And if it's not this, it's going to be something else. The reality is put a staff together that can coach and win games and work their butts off on the recruiting trail. And if those two things go together, that you start winning games and you start recruiting the way this program is capable of without the need for assuming that every kid wants to get paid, that assuming an every minority kid from the Southeast that plays a skill position is not a great student or doesn't care about academics, stop assuming all those things that aren't true and realize that there's a lot of kids from all over the country, from all different backgrounds, with all different parental structures, from all different type of high schools that view this as a place that can help benefit them for their future as men, as students, and as football players. And find those guys. And don't maybe waste as much time on some of the guys that you know are not that way. And and so like credit to the staff for backing off of Samuel and Pemba when they did. Because they got to the point where they're like, this all this kid cares about is this, and that's not what we want. And so they backed off. You know, more of that and and find the Jeremiah Loves. Find the Jaden Greathouses. Find the Braylon Jameses. Find the Charles Jagasols. Find, the, find those type of guys that are big-time football players that – care about NIL, but don't care about getting the guaranteed money because they find value in what you have to offer. Justin Scott's going to be that way. Justin Scott's going to care about NIL as he should. We, we know this, but is he a kid that's looking for, give me this or I'm not coming? He doesn't seem to be that way. So find the things that work beyond that because Notre Dame can compete in NIL with kids who care about NIL, but also don't care about the immediate guarantees. Notre Dame has and can compete with those kids because there's a lot of NIL opportunities in Notre Dame if it's a kid that's willing to do it the right way. Find those kids. Those kids are out there. And this notion that you've got a lower academic standard is insulting. The fact that you've got to pay players to come is insulting because it assumes that every kid is like that and every big-time kid is like that, and it's just not true. Not every kid that goes to Alabama gets bought. Not every kid that goes to Georgia gets bought. Not every kid that goes to Texas A&M gets bought. Not every kid that goes to LSU gets bought. And every kid that goes to USC gets bought. That's just not accurate. Some do. Not all. Find the kids that care more about the big picture. And I think what people are going to realize, and what Marcus Freeman has shown, is there's a lot more big-time players like that than people thought before. It's just about putting in the work to get there. And you look at the position where they're struggling to do that are positions where you have coaches who aren't putting in the work. D-line, D-coordinator. It's not a shock. Marcus Freeman didn't have those issues because he put in the work. Mike Elson didn't have that issue when him and Freeman were together because he put in the work. These, these guys aren't. Fix that, and you're going you're gonna to find yourself getting some big-time football players, which they already are, and that's going to be the key. All right, I, I think that is going to do it for today's show. Here's one that I want to get to because this has been asked several times. 
and and this is a, this is a good one from uh, from P- Peter Freiberg. John McNulty parted ways at Boston College after one year. Do you see him coming to Notre Dame as an analyst in some form based on his relationship with Tom Reese? I don't know if he will. I will say this: I would like to see it. I I think that he's someone that Tom Reese trusts. He's someone that that Tom Reese will listen to. As long as John McNulty's willing to work with the entire staff and and be open and 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 have that and not just be kind of like Tommy Reese's like you know angel in his ear kind of thing and and work with everybody and take the ideas from everybody. I think that'd be a great idea because I think John McNulty is a very good football mind. I just don't think he was in a situation this year at Boston College where, it, I mean, he was kind of set up to fail. Brand new offensive line and and just your quarterback gets hurt and your offensive line stinks and your only good offensive lineman that, that has experience coming back gets hurt before the season starts. Your schedule's not good and and then your quarterback goes down for the year. You, you just you don't have the overall talent you have. Your defense isn't that good. There's a lot of things against them that didn't work. And I don't know if this is true or not, but there's also the notion that we've said before, and Ryan and I talked about this earlier, but not every good position coach, not every great mind from a talent standpoint is is a position coach standpoint is necessarily a great coordinator. Maybe that's true of John McNulty. I, I don't know. I, I don't I think one year's that that struck me very much as as um Jeff Halfley kind of projecting blame onto others for his own failures and mistakes, is how I view that one. But hey, that's that's kind of how it played out. So if John McNulty wanted to come back and be part of an entire group, work with an entire group, and I have no reason to believe that he wouldn't, I'd, I'd be all for bringing him back as an analyst. No question, he's a good mind. He's a very good mind, and and the head, and the OC trusts him. So I'd I'd be okay with that. So anyway, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. I really 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 appreciate everybody um, for being with us today. And just all the great questions and and man, we could go for another hour and a half with all the great questions you guys put in. And and uh, honestly, I just, my throat's get going a little bit. So I got to go and Ryan had to go pick up his daughter, but we'll be back at it. Sean and I, as of right now, plan on doing our RTCF show tomorrow. So we'll go at two o'clock tomorrow afternoon, as long as, you know, some scheduling things don't come up. I don't anticipate it, but I just want to leave, leave the, the, the ability for that to happen. But uh, that's the plan as of right now. So we'll have our RTF, RTCF show. Hey, check out the site at irishbreakdown.com. If you have not done so, sign up for the newsletter. We send that out almost daily. Uh, usually it comes out in the morning. Sometimes it comes out later in the day. Uh, so make sure you do that. Sign up for the message boards at boards at irishbreakdown.com. If you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Our CFB Nation is really close to 4,000 hours. So if you all uh, have not if there's videos you haven't watched, I would greatly appreciate that you go back and watch some of those videos. We're really, really close. Like if we have a good week this next week of, of watch hours, we can get to 4,000, which allow us to monetize that channel, which only allows us to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And so that would be awesome. And then of course, hit that like, hit that subscribe, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. And as we remember earlier, our, our, our buddy Tyler, who's a member of our IB family who lost his father, uh, when the show's over, whenever it is this time that you sit spend down, uh, sit down today or kneel down or however you pray, I would ask that you lift him up and his family up as they deal with that loss. Uh, I've never experienced that, and I hope I don't experience that anytime soon, but it's something at some point in time all of us do experience. And so uh, just lift Tyler up. His dad apparently is a Notre Dame fan. And so uh, just definitely keep him in your thoughts and prayers as you go through your weekend and as you spend your time with God. So Appreciate y'all so, so very much. This is such a great community. I absolutely love y'all and love this community so very much. It makes the long hours and hard work a lot more fun, knowing that you're doing it for a great group of people, and that's what we have here. So have a great rest of your day, everybody, and we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.